I love that line. The idea of being more aware of the presence of God. To be fully aware of him. To feel the reality of God. That God feels real. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't always sense that. Um, that I go about my everyday and, and I lose touch or even thought about God. And there are these moments, though, in life where God becomes so real. You feel like you're looking face to face with him. And I have a question for you all. Have you ever had a religious experience with a dessert? Have you ever had a religious experience with a dessert? If you haven't, you're missing out. And I would love to tell you about a moment in which I encountered Jesus in a new way in a dusty town called Anapra, Mexico through a delightful, delicious strawberry shortcake. Now, I was there with our mission team. You know, 10 of us came here from Church in the Mall to Anapra, Mexico, which is just outside of Juarez, Mexico. And we have a relationship with the school there, the Susanna Wesley School. And it is amazing, amazing to see what happens there at that school because it is immersed in poverty, and yet the hope of Jesus is so powerful there because of the people who have devoted their lives to caring for that community through that school. Antonio and Dina Briones, pastors who have become educators. And so we have, as a church, partnered with them on a number of occasions. And this was one of those opportunities in which we were going down there to serve the school for a week. And so we would spend our, our day at the school, and then we would come home. We would come back to this house that had been dedicated to mission teams. It was a little, little house in which we all slept on bunk beds and just lived life together as we were serving the school. And so we would come home to these amazing, amazing meals prepared by the hands of local women. And it would be about midweek when I would have my encounter. And I tell you this, um, that this was no ordinary strawberry shortcake. This was, this was not that spongy, dry thing you get at the grocery store that comes in packs of six, okay? None of that garbage. This, this was a delightful conclusion, high point to an even more amazing meal at moments. This was a biscuit prepared by the blessed hands of Marisol. Marisol is actually the uh, Breone's sister-in-law, and she was serving us that evening with her gifts of cooking and baking. And so she had prepared these biscuits that then were topped by whipped cream, and not the stuff that comes out of the can that goes <sighs> No, this was fresh made, fresh cream, sugar, probably a drop or two of vanilla. Sat on top of that delightful biscuit, immersed in strawberries that not only tasted amazing, but I swear that's what heaven's going to smell like. This was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And, you know, I thought I knew Jesus. I, I knew Jesus before that moment. 
But this was an encounter. You know, I met Jesus when I was 16 in a concert hall, and I answered an altar call. And my life would be forever changed from that move, moment forward. But it would be in 2017 that I would have a new encounter with the joy of the Lord. And I joke with you guys on this, and I can hear your laughter, and I laugh at myself about this. But it was such a, a beautiful moment to just enjoy God's creation. Not only in the gifts that came through nature, but also the gifts from the hands of Marisol. And surrounded by people who were becoming like family that week for me. As we worked and played and learned and prayed together. This was an encounter with God's creation that showed me the goodness of God. That is sometimes our experience with creation. You know, we're designed to participate in this world, not to be separate from it. Sometimes we have that mistaken understanding as Christians that suddenly we, we are not to participate in this world. And in fact, we are to be a presence of light and hope in it. And we are to be in healthy relationship with God's creation, tasting of it, literally and figuratively at times. And we are given this privilege, as we talked about last week, we are given this privilege to take charge in creation. And I often think of it like a master gardener. You know, like gardens are going to grow, you know, plants are going to grow, but when they are tended to by a master gardener, they flourish. And they will produce a harvest that not only that gardener will enjoy, but also others. That's our invitation in creation. You know, and so my question for us is, what is our relationship with creation? What is it supposed to be? You know, we, we may be able to say, this is what it is right now, but, but what is it really supposed to be? And do those things line up? You know, we are given this privilege and then a command that comes to us from Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And this command is given to eat freely from any tree in the garden. And then God adds, but this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there is this freedom, though, to partake of all the trees except one. That's an inv invitation to participate in the diversity and the abundance of this world that comes to us from God. And, and I believe that's not just simply what we physically eat, but how we encounter this world. You know, we are invited to eat freely, to sustain ourselves and each other. Or to think about it another way, consume, use, enjoy the world in order to create more goodness. So, what is it that we eat freely or consume freely? You know, I want to think more than just, you know, what we put in our bellies, but also what we take into our whole lives. And how is our relationship with that? What is our connection to it? What is it supposed to be like? How did God design it? And I want to run through some things that we do consume. And I want to use that word intentionally today because I think you know, it, it gets at a lot of different things in this world. And it helps us better understand the whole of creation. So 
What are some of the things that we consume? And what are some of the things that may consume us? And I want to run through a few of these, and I'm hoping that I get to offend you at least once because I'm going to offend myself the whole time. But the thing is that all of the things that we have the opportunity to consume, most of them are pretty neutral. You know, they're not good or bad inherently. It's what we do with them. It's how we use them or our attitude towards them or our relationship to them. It's the effect that we allow them to have on us that can be negative or positive, especially when it comes to our interpersonal relationships, whether that is a relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, our relationship with others. So I touched first on food. You know, that's a biggie to think about, oh, what do you consume? What do you eat? And the funny thing is that we have, we have labeled some foods good and some foods bad. I'm a mom of toddlers. I get to see all the time all the things that I feed my children that are bad. We eat a lot of hot dogs and mac and cheese, and there are people who judge me for that. You feed your kids that garbage? Yes, because that's what they will eat. And I'm just trying to survive another day. But isn't that the thing? Like some foods are categorized as good and some are bad. And then there's just the viewpoint that all food is bad and we should just use it to, you know, be strong and healthy and nourish ourselves and never enjoy a single bite. I think that somewhere in the middle, there's a better attitude. I think there's a better relationship we could have with food. Now, the thing is, though, it's telling us there's either an underemphasis or an overemphasis. There's an obsession sometimes with food. So maybe there's something wonky in that relationship. Well, then there's our relationship with stuff. And Kevin touched a bit on that as he was talking about kind of doing the spring cleaning in their house. And we all have it. We all have that drawer or maybe a room or a basement or a garage or a barn filled with stuff, right? You know, we have our clothes. We have our gadgets. We have our tools. We have our technology. We have homes to hold our stuff. We have storage units to hold even more of our stuff. How many TVs do you own? Do you have more TVs than people in your house? Just a question, y'all. As I said, I'm trying to offend everyone, okay? But I also have this question, why do we also need the latest technology? Like whatever comes out, I mean, Apple just did their big, you know, presentation and we're all going, what do I need? Do we need it? Is it really that much more helpful to have the latest and greatest? Or is it really a hindrance in our relationships? Clothes. Clothes. Okay, when the pandemic started, we all started cleaning out our homes because we were stuck there, right? How many bags went to Goodwill from your house? 
How many bags of perfectly good clothes went someplace else because you were trying to make room? And have you already refilled those spaces? You know, clothes are important. We like to wear them, especially on a day like today. But what is our relationship with clothes? Clothes have that power of signifying status, can signify wealth or poverty. We judge a book by their cover, don't we? And I know that we, we ladies, we ladies, we get picked on for our shoes. Guys, tell me about your sneakers. You know that there are people who have thousands of thousands of sneakers. There are whole like websites dedicated to how you can store and collect your sneakers, how sneaker collections have been sold for millions of dollars. There's a lot of stuff, isn't there? And like the Koskis, the Miskimmons have been in the process of kind of going through our stuff because we are in the process of moving. And as we are packing up, we are finding boxes from previous moves that we never unpacked. Oh my gosh, you, you know this story, don't you? My husband jokes that he has moved things about five or six times across a couple decades and never unpacked them. I have done the same. This is a sign that the Miskimmons have too much stuff. And I ask myself, why? Why am I holding on to this? Why can't I let this go? What, what does, what hold, what hold does this have on me? And then there is the stuff that really isn't stuff, it's not material, but are all the things that we take in, right? All the things that we consume in other ways. Movies, TV shows, entertainment, music. All of these things are enjoyable. They excite our imagination. They teach us new things. They delight us. They sometimes just give us a break at the end of a rough day. And then, and then they can rob us of our time as we binge through season after season. Are you still watching? Yes, Netflix, I am still watching. Have you guys reached the end of Netflix yet? Have you exhausted the catalog? How about you people who consume the news? who are just plugged in to what's going on constantly. Are you somewhat of a news junkie? I think many of us were about two years ago at this point when we were whining and dewining at 2 p.m. every day, trying to figure out what was gonna happen next. And it's good to have information, y'all. We were trying to figure this out. But does it consume us? Because our news has become increasingly visual and graphic and we can't unsee those things. And we are hardwired, hardwired to look for negative things because we are looking for potential threats. It's a survival thing. And so negative news 
feeds into that. So no wonder we keep clicking because it keeps feeding that too because that's how the algorithms are built. And we are getting a lot of our news from social media, which again, those algorithms are built to give us more of what we click on. It's a business. And we are built to look for the things that we perceive may hurt us, those things that scare or unsettle us on a regular basis. And the fact that we get it so much from our social media, it's you know so interesting to see some of those statistics in our world. That those negative news that can not only you know activate that survival technique, I need more, I need more information, I need to look for more threats, that it actually generates more anxiety, more depression. It can intensify our own personal worries and anxieties. And the thing is, like, I enjoy social media. I love that it keeps me connected with people across miles and generations and different points in my life that I can reach out and connect with them and see what's going on in their lives. So there's this beauty to it. There's a positive and there's a negative. But the thing is, we spend about 145 minutes a day. 45 minutes a day, y'all. That's like two hours and 25 minutes. That's a long movie. Do you watch a two and a half hour movie every day? Maybe. I mean, that's a long movie, y'all. If I'm sitting down in the evening, I'm going, mm, it's two hours and 25 minutes. I may not watch that. Or to put it in a different way, two hours and 25 minutes, that's a decent night's sleep for a new mom. It's <laughs> a lot of time. And that's daily. So what do we consume? What do we take in? What do we take in into our lives and our homes, our minds, our souls on a regular basis? How does it affect our relationship with God and others? What does our relationship with stuff, material and otherwise, say about our relationship with God and with others? You know, as people invited to enjoy the variety, the fruitfulness of this world, are we tending and consuming with the intention to bring more goodness, like God, or are we being consumed? See, when we allow creation to take charge, rather than take charge of creation, when we allow it to rule, to master us, we find ourselves pursuing the created, not the creator. And we get we get our priorities out of order. And Jesus speaks to this disordered view of the world. He spends actually quite a bit of time on it in the Sermon on the Mount. This teaching that he does for about three chapters in Matthew alone, in which he talks about what is to be our relationship with God, with the world, through the idea of the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in this sermon, in this moment, in his ministry, has gathered his disciples. And I want you to keep in that in mind. He has gathered his disciples. He's actually taken his disciples up on a mountainside, away from all the crowds. And he's taken them up there to teach them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is God's hope 
fulfilled in Jesus and then lived out by people who love God and love others. And so Jesus is teaching on this with his closest followers. And he's calling them to reorient themselves in God's kingdom, to reorient themselves, to reorder their lives. And again, remember, Jesus is speaking to people who say they believe in God, who say they trust in God, but whose actions tell a different story. Now, so often they are seeking to do things for themselves rather than trust in God. Really saying with their actions that they trust themselves more than they trust God. People who are really not too sure of God's plan, so I'm going to do it myself rather than trust in what he has or what his plan is for us. And I think some of us do the same. We say we trust God, but do we really live that way? And the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching that can make us uncomfortable. It's kind of designed that way. It's designed to unsettle us, to show us that sometimes our relationships in this world and with this world are out of order. And it can make us feel really uncomfortable about our lifestyle. So, if our relationship with God and things is disordered and disrupted, those things have the capacity to really disrupt our faith, our relationship with God and others. And the passage that Kevin read for us is pretty clear. You know, in some ways, you know, where do you, where do you put your treasure? Where are the things that you value? Because that's going to tell me where your heart is. I don't know that my treasure is necessarily in all that stuff that I keep moving from house to house, but there is some hold it has on me. And I think it goes to verse 24 in that passage that Kevin read for us today that comes to us from Matthew 6, 24. Let me read it for us again. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve two masters. There's a choice to be made here, my friends, between God and wealth. It doesn't mean that to love God we have to be poor. But where is our heart oriented? And the original word here for wealth is this word mammon. And it's interesting because it has this richer understanding of not only wealth, but money, property, can even mean food or riches. What is the thing that our lives are really oriented around? Is it God? Or is it something else? Or more accurately, what, what consumes you? What lives in your head most? Where do your worries go to? 
Where is your anxiety finding its root in? What masters you? What rules you? What owns you, my friends? Is it God? Or is it everything else? And Jesus asks us to choose here. We cannot play the field. We cannot have both. We can't date God and wealth. One has to be the priority. One has to come first. That's the thing. It has to be in the right order. See, we want all the options, right? We want to come to church on Sunday and feel really good about Sunday and feel good about God. We want to walk out of here with, you know, a little positivity. And then we want to go about our lives for the rest of the week. thing is, Jesus isn't just about Sundays. Jesus is about our whole lives, about every day with us. We have to choose which God we will serve. Whereas the great theologian Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. He gets it, do we? This choice that we make relates to what consumes us, which may be in our minds what we consume, but can we give it up? See, Jesus knows full well that we are concerned with what we have and what we don't have. Do we have enough? And we may say we do, but our actions, our actions tell a different story sometimes. And it's that mismatch between our heart and our actions that really tells us what's going on in our heart. See, when our relationship with the created world is out of order, it disrupts everything else. Why why were people hoarding toilet paper two years ago. Why? If not a concern, you wouldn't have enough. And I don't think that we are ruled by love of toilet paper. I know that some of you have preferences on what brand, and this is not a critique of that. I have been told in my household I have bought the wrong brand of toilet paper. I have owned that, I have confessed, I have done penance for it. But seriously, my friends, like, why are we drawn to this if not a fear of having enough? We fill our lives, our minds, our souls with stuff. Whether it's material things like clothing, food, cars, tools, technology. And we fill our minds with information, entertainment, And many of us fill our lives with experiences and activity. And often it comes from a place of fear. That it's not enough. That God is not enough. Not enough in our homes. Not enough in our schedules. Not enough in our busyness. 
certainly not enough for our kids. So we pile on the toys, the activities, the experiences, all in the hopes of finally having enough. All the trees but one was not enough for Adam and Eve. We fill our lives with everything but God. And the thing is, we are doing that to meet the need for relationship that only God can. We look to meet that need for God with things we can grab for ourselves. Things we can consume, things we can hold on to, things we can control. Numbing ourselves sometimes with entertainment, experiences, busyness, noise. And that noise drowns out the voice of God calling for us. It's hard to hear God in the midst of all that noise, all that busyness, all that stuff. And I think sometimes we hide behind all that stuff. We hide from God. We hide from ourselves. We hide from other people. The thing is, God is enough. And God cares deeply for us. He cares about what we have and what we don't have. He knows that we have the need for things in our life. We need food, clothing, shelter. God knows and often provides for what we need. God is trustworthy and worthy of our trust, my friends. Not just in saying it, but living it. And Jesus wants to refocus their priorities as disciples on what is important. And to show them not only what is important, but how can we keep our eyes on Jesus? How can we keep things in the right order? The idea of God's kingdom and God's righteousness. This is what Jesus calls his disciples in that Sermon on the Mount to pursue. To live out God's hope in this world as people who love God and love others. And to pursue that right relationship with God. That healthy relationship with God. See, when we start there... When that is the order of our lives, God first and then everything else, it's enough. We're being called to prioritize that relationship with God. Focus on, want it. Sometimes even plan out how our lives can be structured in a way that puts God first. It's almost like thinking about being an Olympic athlete. No, I'm not an Olympic athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but these are individuals who have oriented their lives around one goal. doesn't mean they don't do other things, but they have committed themselves in the pursuit of a gold medal often. 
They have aimed their life in that direction and everything else falls in line behind it. And sometimes our lives as disciples need to take a note from that of how can I pursue God first and know that everything else will fall in line behind that. How do we keep our eyes fixed on the story of Jesus and how we are living it? This is why we engage in those spiritual practices like, like prayer, reading our Bibles, actually engaging in spiritual conversations with other people. Some of us choose to fast. These are all things that help maintain that focus, that direction in our lives on God. Fixing those priorities on God's kingdom and his righteousness first. Now, my friends, this is not, this is not, I want to put this out there, this is not a strategy for the starving, okay? This is not a cold attitude of like, you just got to pray more. Remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his insiders, people he knows have enough for their daily provisions. They may not have everything they want, but they have enough. They have what they need. This is who Jesus is speaking to. And so keep this in mind. This is not a strategy for those who are starving. This is a call for disciples to live their lives, to reprioritize their lives towards God. This is a warning, an invitation for us to reorient our lives around that kingdom, that righteousness. And in doing so, silence those disruptions that seek to disrail us. We all have a unique mission that is oriented around God's kingdom and his righteousness. I have one that looks like being a wife, a mother, and a pastor. Yours may be a little differently, may be a little different, but it's all in pursuit of God's kingdom and his righteousness. How will we live out those missions in God's kingdom? It doesn't mean that we will always have what we want, but God knows our reality. And most of us, most of us have more than what we need. And hear me on this. God is not calling us to be careless about the things in this world. But to be carefree, to be free of the cares of them. To not be ruled by them, to not be consumed by them, not be ruled by them. Not be careless, but to be free of the care of them. See, food, money, clothes, shelter, they all matter. But matter is different than worship. Seek first God to be free of the cares of things so that they don't consume us or own us. And instead, we consume and own and can give freely of them. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind for those things that really hold us. Is the best way to break its hold on us is to be generous. To be generous with our time, 
thought I was going to start with money, didn't you? We're in church, right? No. There is a whole call in our lives to be generous with everything that we have. And I think so often we are most reluctant to give our time because that means we give of ourselves. We are to be generous with our time, our money, our possessions, our resources. One and primary to further God's kingdom. And second, so that they do not consume us. See, so much of that is what holds us back from that rich, abundant life with God. I think it's so interesting that in thinking about how can I be generous in this world, that I think about the word charity. That charity is defined not just giving money to worthy organizations, but charity is actually the love of humanity. Loving others. That is what it is to be charitable. And it's viewed as one of the highest forms of love because it actually shows that and demonstrates that love that we have for God and for other people. Because in being charitable, being generous with ourselves and our resources, we are in the best position to love others and love God. And we love God best when we love others, and we love others best when we love God. That's the beautiful thing about that. So, what consumes you? What is disordered in your life? What consumes you more than God? What isn't enough? What isn't enough because you keep chasing after it, hoping it will fill you and satisfy you? And it never does. It never really brings you peace, does it? Because you always got to go get more. What consumes us? What disrupts us in our capacity to love God and love others? That's my question for us today. Because I think that's something we need to take action on. Because when we can name that, we know what we need to break the hold of. Maybe it's something that you need to maybe fast from. And you know, we're in the season of Lent when people often fast from chocolate and sweets. That may rule you. But maybe it's consumption of the news. And you need to silence that for a few weeks. Maybe it is. Maybe it is acquiring things. And you need to find a way to be generous with those things with others. To let some of them go. This is our call to action this week. What we can give up or maybe even just limit in order to be generous with God and others. Because in doing so, we will reorient ourselves to God and be better able to love others. I named for you earlier an opportunity you may have to give of your time. Saturday, April 9th, I'm going to remind you again. We have this opportunity to love our community, to give of our time, ourselves, our skills, our resources to help 
serve our community on April 9th in partnership with other churches in our community. And so if this feels like something you want to step into, I want to hear about it. For those of you who are online, go to churchinthemall.com slash welcome. Look for the love link. Click on that. You'll send me an email. For those of you here today, grab a serve on purpose card. Grab a serve card. Fill it out. Put your number, your email. I'll follow up with you. We're going to get more details in the weeks. But how can you give of yourself your time in order to break the hold that some of these things that consume you have on you? We're going to be doing some interesting projects around the community, whether delivering cookies to first responders or cleaning up the square or working with Together We Grow, one of the community gardens in our area. There's opportunity for everyone to serve. That's just one way that we can do this, my friends. But I invite you to think about what are those things that have a hold on you and seek to break them so that we can first seek that relationship with God. Learning and knowing that he is enough. And that when we do so, we find ourselves freely able to engage in creation, tending and enjoying and creating more goodness with God. Amen.